Welcome to the Minimum Viable Podcast, a project of the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum. Our mission is to inspire, connect, and empower people in order to promote a culture of innovation in the U.S. national security community. You can learn more about DEF and get involved at DEF.org. That's D-E-F dot O-R-G. We look forward to your ideas and are excited to connect you with other doers working on hard problems. I'm going to pivot here back. I'm pivoting backwards because we need to talk about the innovator's journey. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, I turned myself into a talking shark at one point. We're doing, we're doing loops. It's iterative. It's fine. <laughs> My introduction to this concept was the, you know, the innovator's journey. And it was this paper that you sent me before we started. Uh, I actually, I think it was before our first conversation, before I was even part of um, Summer of Design, is you sent me this paper with uh, you and Jean Lidka and Jessica Eldridge. Eldridge. Yeah. Uh, but it's also going to be a book, is my understanding. Can you yeah. talk just a little bit about why? you uh, decided to write this book. Um, and I think it touches on what you just what you just referred to. Well, I wish I could say that um, there was a there was a moment when I, you know, when I had like fireworks that said, ah, oh, you need you need to write this book. Yeah. My daughter was asking me about that last night. She said, how long was that process, mommy, about, around writing that book? And I said, well, Jean and I have worked together for maybe seven years. And for the last five years, we've been researching. Um, and then the book just sort of fell out of the research. So yeah. there wasn't, there wasn't like a, there wasn't a moment, um, when we're like, Oh, we need to write this book to do this. We just, Jean is an incredible thought partner. Um, I'm so lucky to have her as a, as, as a sounding board and as a, like a curiosity partner who, yeah. just, who just wants to um, dig in and, and better understand and, and better equip people um, with the with the skills that that we uncover but she wants to do it at scale right because Gina is all mm -hmm. about is all about the scale um, I think there's an important thing there I hate I'm sorry I hate I am rabbit trail city over here um <laughs> I like I'm reminded of Daniel Kahneman talking about how how his um his research was like enabled and uh, like the impact that he was able to have was kind of necessarily he needed his uh his working partner um who i'm forgetting the name of him right now but um oh tversky amos tversky um yeah but there's this uh there's this book about their relationship because it was so fundamental to to the work that they did and i think that is a, i think that's an important message to hit on because i think a lot of people think the way to move forward with my ideas or my work or my research or whatever is to just dig down when sometimes, and I think really frequently the 
the way to move forward is to invite somebody else in. Um, mm. And especially somebody who's motivated to go on that journey with you. I've yeah. seen just a ton of examples of what you just referred, what you just described of people who, who were able to, you know, and I think I, I like to think it comes back to this message about having a relational aspect, which keeps the energy sustaining. It yeah. also provides some, some of that, um, some of that, uh, I, you know, in biology, you'd call it genetic diversity to, to, uh, to ensure the survivability of ideas as they continue. Like, um, so I, I think that's actually a really important point that you, uh, your relationship with Gene ha and how it f fostered and facilitated the, uh, the research process. Yeah. Yeah. Be yeah. Because we, I mean, we were both so curious. Well, she's so curious, right? I mean, she's brilliant. Jean is, I mean, she's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to be able to sort of work through and wrestle with these ideas with someone is mm -hmm. uh, important to my own journey. Um, and it's important to my own understanding. Um, so we wrote a, we wrote a, like a facilitation manual about, um, five years ago, cause we were doing some teaching, um, in the executive education, um, uh, school of, of Darden. And, um, we had some, I think we had some NASA executives or I don't know, we had, we had, we had a big group that was coming to Darden and we wanted to put together um, a manual with some tips and some tricks and some things to watch out for and uh, just something to supplement uh, the the in-class work that we were doing because um, we had a week-long in-class program um, and we wrote it and um, and and I think it so this is a this is a, this talks about the importance of prototypes right we wrote it and we it wasn't what I don't think it was, it served the greater like yearning we had, but mm -hmm. we couldn't put our hands on what that was. Yeah. Uh, we couldn't articulate that. We just knew that we needed something else and we needed, but we didn't know what that was, yeah. <clears throat> but it, that was a good exercise for us to do. And it's still a really valuable tool, but we never actually published it. Columbia is our, is our publisher. We never actually thought that it was Columbia um, ready. Um, yeah. it, was, it wasn't something that we were going to publish for Columbia. Um, but it was a good first, um, a good first step in the journey. But we were still digging understanding and learning. And that's the thing about research, right? It's not like there, it's not like the end point is over there and, and, and you can see it. You don't, you, you don't know what threads you're going to pull to, to uncover um, what it is you're looking for. So we didn't know. Yeah. So we, we just kept going on the journey. Um, and then let's see, did we have another book in mind? I'm not sure if we had, I, I'm not sure if we had another book. I, mean, I don't think we did, but I, but, but we kept digging. And for me, working with Summer of Designers, one of the, one of the sort of big questions that I had was, and you know, I do these weekly journals, these weekly mm -hmm. reflections so that I can, you know, understand people's experiences and provide them very specific advice about 
uh, where they are on their own journey. And so I would get these journals back and somebody would have a 10 experience on a scale of one to 10. They would have a 10 experience like this was amazing. I had Mm -hmm. the most incredible week. I had all these ahas. This was incredible. And then I get another journal that somebody said, well, I had a four week. Yeah. How, how is somebody having a 10 and somebody's having a four, right? It's the same workshop it's the same assignment but they're having completely different experiences and so Mm -hmm. Jean and I spent a lot and she uses reflections in her MBA class and was getting the same thing right so it's like people had 10 and somebody would have a four right and so we we spent a lot of time just like trying to figure out what was going on. Um, and we talked to a lot of people and I talked to, Oh gosh, no, I can't remember his name. This awesome guy, um, who was doing a lot of work for the Marines. Mm-hmm. And he said, he, um, introduced us to Emergenetics and which is, a um, a tool that can help you understand how people approach innovation. And, mm-hmm. um, and I asked him, I invited him, to do a workshop for DTDC um, after that summer to just help me understand, um, you know, how my, I approach these, these ways that different people experience summer of design. And a lot of light bulbs went off in that conversation um, that people experience the world differently. Uh, and so their experiences are going to be different. And we use the disc in Jean's MBA class, um, the disc tool. And so we decided maybe we should experiment with the disc tool and see if we, if there's any pattern to the, the responses we get to the journals and the the personality types of the people who are um, who are experiencing it, and sure enough, we started to see a pattern. We were kind of blown away, and and different personality types were experiencing different things at different moments of innovation. Yeah. Um. And and so we started we started doing some quantitative analysis and and found there was a very predictable pattern to how people were experiencing innovation um, that we needed to share with others. And I think it was at that moment that we started to think, wow, this is, this is important. This is an important contribution. Um, Yeah. I love that, uh, that idea of um, not, I mean, you can't, you know, when, when you say you can't pinpoint the idea that when the idea emerged, it reminds me of Steven Johnson's, uh, in where good ideas come from. He talks about the slow hunch, like <sighs> this process of years or even decades sometimes. And even, even stuff that we thought was an epiphany for, for people was in fact, this thing that kind of iterated sometimes subconsciously over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the the fact that it was f- facilitated by self reflection and you keep coming back to self reflection using yeah. journals for example yeah. yeah as a really key component so there's this thing that I've been tr- that I've been exploring um, in it's it's related to how you navigate complex systems and in the Kinevin framework you, like uh, by um, by Dave Snowden he 
he talks about navigating complexity. You need to do the you first you probe the system and you sent and then you sense based on your interaction with the system. Mm-hmm. You're you're able to sense uh, things about it that that then allow you to respond, which is different from like a, an ordered or predictable system, which is you just have to categorize and sense in the respond or you just have to analyze what's happening and then respond. Um this idea of self-reflection is like a self-ethnography. It's like this. Um, so when you're having a slow hunch or or even organizationally, like as somebody who writes a lot, you know, I am I am of the opinion that an organization that is not self-reflective in some way, that doesn't do its own journaling and the way that organ- is not going to be innovative, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to capitalize on those those subconscious slow hunches or those subconscious insights that just need room to breathe. Um, like I, I think we have this sense that we are too consistently the same mind over a long period of time. But when you write, you realize I'm not the same person. I don't have the same thoughts or feelings about this subject that I did month, you know, just a few months ago and writing about things has been one of the best ways for me to realize that I'm like writing on a subject. And then I'm like, wait, why am I writing differently about this? I didn't realize that my perception had changed. Mm -hmm. So the, one of the big takeaways that I would take from, from what you just described is that as individuals, like self-reflection, just reflective exercises are essential. Like you, you need that and then as an organization, you need some kind of like journaling practice, some kind of self self ethnography um, that allows those insights to emerge from individuals or from, you know, the larger collective consciousness. Um, and, and one of the things that bothers me about the Air Force right now is that we don't have a writing culture. Mm. Um, I, I am, I am a, I am just such a minority in the sense that I'm an NCO who writes things publicly. There are just not that many of us. And I think that that says something really important about how capable we are as an organization of self-reflection. There are, there are others, but it's not like, it's not like you see with, for example, journalism in culture, right. Mm -hmm. In society, which is a form of, of ethnography, which can allow those hidden insights to, to reveal themselves. So that's, that is a particular point that I've been uh, just coming back to over and over, over the last like two years or something. Yeah. Well, I I mean, as I've explained, right. Those journals have been so important for me personally, um, but it also, uh, and of course it's been important for me professionally to think about how to to help people, you know, it's, um, it's, I feel so privileged to, um, be privy to people's own journal reflections, right? Because that's how I think people can try on new behaviors and mindsets Mm -hmm. and become something new because one thing to do it, it's another thing to self-reflect on that doing. Yeah. and make the connection that you have been transformed by that experience because it's possible to just do it and 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 if without the reflection you may never make that connection right yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. And also like one of the, I was really excited when I read the paper on the innovator's journey, because one of the things that I recognized was one of the things you, you hit on pretty early on, which is the skepticism about design thinking. Mm -hmm. There is the, there's a very popular, it is, it, it's a great way to get your, your medium article like hits is to trash design thinking <laughs> just like it you know just like it's a great way to get hits trashing the agile mindset or the you know or modern agile practices or whatever it's and i think that part of i, I think that there's a common um pattern here which is that an insightful new method emerges and then it becomes systematized and when it becomes systematized it loses a lot of those a lot of the insights that make it powerful and and then it starts getting packaged as a quick fix or a plug and play you know just do these exercises and you will and you will find your way to insights 99% of the time if you just you know run them through this 3 hour workshop or bring our consultants in and we'll fa we'll facilitate for whatever um, and, and I, what I got the impression was we were selling the design process wrong, mm -hmm. um, and maybe even to ourselves. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so I really glommed onto that. And what I saw in, in what you wrote was some really much deeper insights into that. This isn't just a framework. It's also, there's much more going on within the individual activities and if you don't if you don't understand what's supposed to be going on, um, this is one of my favorite things about what we're doing at Desi at uh, Summer of Design right now, which is getting those. What are you supposed to be experiencing right now? And that's really helpful for me as a you know like I'm, I'm a mentor on my team, and I can I like I know you know within my own practice, and I'm trying to help people become facilitators of of like you know, uh, facilitated discovery sessions, I have a hard time verbalizing what the experiences we're supposed to be having. Yeah. And that's what I saw in there. Cause there's like this esoteric, you know, <laughs> it's like a secrets of the, you know, the secrets of the keepers of the truth or whatever are facilitators are these people that have this esoteric knowledge of what the dynamics are supposed to be like. Yeah. But I think that what you, what you hit on is that those can in fact be verbalized. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I would love to just um, really quick go through the difference between the steps, which we talk about in design thinking um, and the, uh, and then the experiences that you're supposed to be having during those steps. Um, and then the, you know, what that causes you to become ultimately as a result of having had those experiences. Cause I think that that is even like way more powerful than the way that design thinking is being sold, um, in, you know, uh, by a majority of, of, uh, practitioners right now. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think, so I think what you're talking about is my worry lists. <laughs> yes. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> that I include in the um, that I include in our Thursday emails. So I'm going to try and pull up some of my favorite ones um, because um, without having a, a sense of what you should be worrying about, because and the reason the worry list um, came up is that um, 
uh, in those journals, right, I would get lots of um, lots of worries. People would, you know, would detail exactly what their worries were. And I needed to be able to say, this is okay to worry about. And this, not so much, right? I, yeah. I need to be able to, to sort of help them. Um, uh, understand, you know, which, which things were great to worry about, um, and which things were not so great to worry about. So, yeah. um, so for like testing for last week, um, you know, a lot of people, when we move into testing, um, get very nervous about, um, about even, like making something visual because mm. um, they they have anxiety about um, about their skills to illustrate about their skills to turn something in their head into something tangible. Yeah. Um, they have concern that it has to be perfect when mm-hmm. they um, when they make that first prototype. Um, they start thinking about you know, 20 steps in front of them instead of starting to worry about making something at all, they start to think, okay, like, but if I make this thing, then my boss is going to see this thing. And then my boss is uh, (laughs) going to, you know, write this up on my, uh, you know, detail this on my performance evaluation and they get paralyzed. Right. And they can't, and begin um, to do this and they get nervous that and this and this is actually a a good thing like I don't actually really know what this idea is so how can how can I build it right Um, and my job is to just help them you know take a deep breath and say listen the most important thing is are you adopting a hypothesis driven mindset Mm -hmm. Right. It is critical to to focus on um, prototyping and testing as as a de-risking process. Of course, you don't know what the idea is yet. You probably got 100 percent of it wrong, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you have to start somewhere. And testing is a great way to get rid of really bad ideas. So so prototypes and artifacts that you create um, are conversation starters. And, and it's a great way to get to a better question. You know, Grandpa Grumman used to say, it's better to have a rough answer to the right question than mm. a detailed answer to the wrong question. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, this, so yeah. Powerful, right. Yeah, exactly. And it speaks to the, the kind of, I, I realized, uh, kind of early on, um, that, after taking a couple of initial training courses in the design thinking and and looking at how innovation was being, you know, uh, kind of attempted and, you know, you were trying to hand people these kits and it's like, now do innovation for yourself. I realized the facilitator plays such an important role. And I think it's doing exactly what you describe. It's helping people understand where they are in the process. Like, Hey, no, right now, we're in, and the simplest example of this is like the double diamond, you know, is yeah. no, right now we're diverging. So, which means you don't have to worry about whether you're having good ideas right now. Yeah. Like yeah. the rules right now are worry about quantity, you know, yeah. like 
make sure you're not affecting whether other people are producing quantity. So for example, produce psychological safety and, yeah. and get people comfortable and, um, and make sure you're using, you know, the, the, just the only the most necessary constraints just to produce maximum volume. And, uh, and, and I think what you're talking about with that happens at all of these various stages for different levels of constraint, because the experiences are supposed to be different for yeah. these, for these individual phases. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, and I think for us, uh, again, these journals helped us identify the, the, uh, sort of the behaviors and the worries, uh, the very predictable worries that people were having. And so we're able to uh, replay that back and say, we understand, like almost giving permission to people to worry about the things that really need to matter. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and some different personalities have, um, have more struggles than others. So yeah. I think also giving, giving people, um, like the tools to, to behave with grace for their teammates, um, yeah. and to meet them where they are, uh, because they're not just being a pain in the butt, right? Like they're really struggling with detaching their ego from the creation, like in testing, right? Some people on your team have much more trouble detaching their ego from their creations. Um, mm -hmm. and they're, they're not just trying to be disruptive. They, they truly are feeling defeated. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and it's an uneasy feeling for them. Um, yeah. and, and giving them permission to know, Hey, it's okay. Your idea may not be the right idea, but let's get it in front of people and yeah. let's, let's have them co-create with us so mm -hmm. that they can uh, help us make it better. And if it's too perfect, then you're actually disinviting um, co-creation because when, when something is too perfect, mm -hmm. uh, which some personalities, you know, are um, very resistant to creating something less than perfect, you're actually, it's actually providing a negative um, incentive for people to, to step in and co-create with you. Um, yeah. So yeah, high resolution prototypes don't really invite co-creation, do they? No, I, no. That never really even occurred to me that, uh, yeah. you know, and it's, a, and it's good. I, you know, initially I was, I thought this is, this idea is sufficient on its own, just the journey without the, without the types of people. But mm -hmm. I, you know, the more that I think about it and the more that I watch what's happening in, you know, summer of design, the, the experiencing and becoming aspects are different for different being different for different types of people makes yeah. it kind of necessary that you pair these two concepts together at the, yeah. the, you know, the, what you're talking about, em emergenetics. That's a funny term. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know it sounds very, I don't know. Yes. Science is something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and also just, I think, um, I think it helps have, I think it helps develop, um, build grace. Like I said, I think it, it helps, um, it, it helps people who are trying to facilitate these conversations, recognize, um, what they can expect and, mm -hmm. 
um, and equip them with, um, uh, I don't know, like a backpack to, to help get that person on their journey. We, we often joked about, um, you know, a metaphor for our work is, um, like drivers in a car. Um, you know, you have four different types. We've identified four different types in our, in our work. Um, and so we have four different drivers, you know, sitting in a car and, and different, different personality types are going to drive that car at different, um, stops along that journey. Um, because oftentimes, um, you know, the, the true innovators on a team often get put in that driver's seat for the whole project because they, they, you know, there are personality types that are pretty comfortable with innovation, the the whole journey, right. They, they deal with, they can deal with ambiguity. They can, um, they, you know, they're just very comfortable. Um, but putting them in the driver's seat for the whole car doesn't for the whole trip, doesn't allow them the regeneration that they need to contribute positively to the whole experience. And there, there are other people on the team who maybe are not so comfortable at the beginning of the journey mm-hmm. and really want to jump out of the car after like, especially, um, my analysts, um, are, are not so comfortable with discovery. Um, yeah. um, they're, they're amazing at testing. Um, but they often want to jump out of the car, uh, when we get to discovery because there's so much ambiguity. There's so much, um, there, there's such a lack of structure, just even a willingness to deal with qualitative data is so comforting to them, um, that they want to jump out. Right. So what we hope our book will do is give them the creative confidence that, Hey, he, this is going to be uncomfortable for you and that's okay. Right. Here's what you're probably feeling and that's okay. But if, if we can, um, if we can meet you where you are and keep you in the, in the car and keep you on the journey, by the time you get to testing, you are going to be a part of the process. And, you may have been kicked out by your teammates in the past because, mm. because it was so d- uncomfortable for you, right? Yeah. I mean, you find that a lot of analysts get kicked off teams because they can be such a pain in the butt at yeah. the beginning of innovation, right? They're discour- they can be discouraging. Um, they can be disparaging uh, about the use of qualitative data. Yeah. Um, and But they're so critical to a high-performing team and the the diversity of viewpoint that they bring and the rigor with which they are able to test ideas is critical for your idea to make it to implementation. And without the people, then your idea is likely to just fizzle and die. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I'm, I'm like reminded a lot, uh, you know, um, I, I have this concern with the innovation space that we're only inviting the wrong people into the room because constantly I'm like, or, or even it's the way that we're inviting people, only the, only the people who are, who are going to be successful at, for example, maximizing empathy. Those yeah. are the only people who are coming to the table and those people are great for, for the immersive process and sense making in, you know, like in the identifying insights about people, there are people who thrive. And I'm one of those people. Like I 
I love having in-depth conversations with people and then in, in, you know, figuring out what the, you know, what their personal experiential cognitive and emotional journey is through the, over the course of a day. I, I really enjoyed that process. Um, so if you invite me into a conversation where we're going to be designing things for human beings, I'm like, yeah, count me in. I'm, I'm all about that. But (laughs) that affects who I am and how I relate to my team that I'm trying to facilitate, which means that I'm going to be less welcoming and less empathetic to those types who are not as good in those phases. Mm-hmm. So I think that what what you've hit on here is is really important. Um, so one of the one of the reasons that I was asked to to like get this interview done is because we're we're looking at uh, in this project we're looking at standing up how what the design strategy the edu- design education strategy should be for this massive organization, and and uh, one of the one of the people who's who's kind of leading that effort is a friend you might be familiar with him Jason uh, Toga True he's yeah. um, he uh, he wanted to make sure that everybody got this mindset this understanding of the both the personality types and also the 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 journey of the design process and honestly one of the most profound things about the concept of the journey is to me is and it it really it it was something i realized that like you know turn on a light bulb when you said sometimes people get to the end of the process and then they have to suddenly pivot and go to different ideas. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because this whole process of developing a solution for human beings, it wasn't, you know, what they did as they were creating things, they were creating things that had maybe potential to be to be the valuable end product. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they were becoming people who were capable of creating something for these people that, you know, yeah. so like, the Mac, the immersive gathering data process, for example, like that, it seemed, you know, I, I realized, um, you you have to look at it, not as just, we're trying to figure out what the information is that we need. Like, we're not just trying to gather the ingredients and put them into the machine. Right. I, I am the machine. And so I have to put that information into my head. And through that, I become somebody who is capable of achieving insights about these, uh, about the people I'm designing for. Yeah. Yeah. And that may not happen until, you know, a, a couple of weeks yeah. beyond that point, right? Like the, the point of immersion is to really step into someone else's life and to separate mm-hmm. your own life experience from what they're experiencing, right? Like one of the the ways I describe this is a couple of years ago, we were working on a a challenge to think about how we might um, support survivors of domestic violence. And so many people who stepped into that research couldn't understand why the, the women that we were engaging with couldn't extract themselves from an abusive relationship, right? They're like, just step out of that relationship, right? Yeah. From their worldview, like all those women needed to do was to lock the door behind them and walk out the door, right? Yeah. But it's not so easy. It's yeah. not so easy to do that. And and it takes it, it takes a lot of self-reflection, I think, to 
to begin to separate somebody else's life from your life because yeah. you might be able to walk out the door. But the women that we engaged with weren't able. So, so mm. how do we understand their life and separate their experiences, right? And that's what immersion is all about, right? Is detaching our own life experiences from someone else's experiences and, and being able to make sense of their world. Right. And what our team was able to understand is that every time they did try to step out, they were re-traumatized in the experience. So the Mm -hmm. leaving was sometimes even more traumatizing than the staying because every time they had to tell their story to social services, to the police, to um, the bank, who, you know, whoever they were traumatized in the experience. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. The, uh, I'm just like flashing back to something I heard, uh, Dave Gray talk about, and I think it was a podcast with, uh, um, for the guy who wrote, um, good talk, Daniel Stillman. Um, and he talked about this Zen, this Zen story, um, about, this, yeah, and I'm going to tell it terribly, but he, it's basically the story goes, the guy asked, hit the, you know, he was almost done with his tea and he asked the Zen master to fill, to like pour him a cup of tea. He was like, can you fill my cup? And the Zen master poured and then it just was overflowing and he kept pouring. And, and the guy was like, what, you know, why didn't you just stop? And he said, if you want to fill your cup, you have to empty it first. Mm-hmm. The, you know, and it, like a lot of Zen sayings, it, you know, I immediately thought, why didn't he just half fill his cup if it was half full already right but the the message there being you can't actually fill your self your mind with somebody else's experience until you empty your own first there has to be a process of letting go of all of my assumptions about Mm -hmm. the world and allowing the experience of the people um, that i am designing for to fully and completely inform the way that I design, um, you know, what the thing that I'm trying to do to, to solve something for them, um, which it seems counterintuitive, I think for, especially for people who are used to just simply drawing on their own expertise or their own experience to patch the world together around them. It's a different thing. Like what you're talking about here, it's this process in, in that it is, it starts from this place of, you know, like, to me, it sounds like you have to start from a place of emptiness. And sometimes you don't achieve that, that ability to, to like, take in new insights about people until later in the process, which is an important thing to understand, because normally, like, we like to think of it as a system, you're in this phase, now you're in this phase, now you're in this phase. But it's also very messy, you're accidentally still immersing as you're prototyping and testing, yeah. which is like, and I have this experience all the time. I'm like, I, I'm getting the sense that I'm getting insights from a previous, previous, previous phase right now. Um, and that might have to inform me taking a step back and re-challenging, you know, how I go into this current phase. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that ability to, um, release your own assumptions, um, impacts the, the whole rest of the experience. Right. So, so until you are able to make sense of somebody else's world, um, 
you can't design something that meets their needs. You might build something that meets your needs, but that's who you're solving for. Right. Yeah. Um, And it might take a while to, to make that realization. Um, And then that's why I said, you know, uh, on Wednesday night, there are teams that get to the end of summer of design and, you know, they'll pitch their um, pitch, their idea at dress rehearsal. And we'll scratch our heads. Like where's the, where's the person you're solving for in this. Right. And, and that requires the team to go all the way back to the beginning, but but they, they're able to do that. Right. Because now Mm -hmm. they know how to do that. And when, and when we challenge those assumptions, then they're able to go back and say, ah, maybe what we really need to do is X, Y, Z. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of the writing process. Cause that's like, there's this, um, there's this thing that happens where I, I like think I have an idea and I'm like, Oh, here's the idea. And then as I start to create it, I'm, I'm basically realizing that the, what the idea I was having was something else all along, Yeah. but it's through the experiencing of creating and then kind of reflecting back on how that feels against my experience that I realize, Oh no, the actual important thing that I want to talk about right here is this completely other thing that I could not have anticipated before starting the process of, yeah. of creation. Um, which is why, uh, why I, you know, I, I love those rough starting points like we did at the beginning of, of this episode where where it's like, no, just put some things down that you think you could talk to and then we'll kind of let that inform what what else happens, right? Um, and as a result, we ended up with like an hour of, of just talking about these really important things about design and the experience of, you know, uh, what just amazing insights into things people need to consider for the design thinking and, uh, and like discovery processes. Um, but I'm glad we were also able to, to touch on the innovator's journey. Um, cause I think that that is, I'm so excited for this book to come out cause it, it's one of the most profound things I've read just that one paper on oh. the subject of design thinking. Um, and it, it's just, it, represents for me kind of a missing piece that I haven't seen reflected yet. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of that, you know, that stuff that I hadn't yet seen articulated about, you know, well, why doesn't it work as a, as just a toolkit that people can walk through and works every time. Yeah. Um, And people still want that, but that's not, that's not the invitation. Um, yeah. And also I think that the reaction from a lot of people, and I've talked to a lot of like long-term design practitioners who their, their instinct is then to gate, to be gatekeepers to the mm-hmm. field of design. Their instinct mm-hmm. is, oh no, this is way harder than you think it is. You, you need to go now on a multi-year journey before you could even call yourself competent in these things. Mm-hmm. And I also reject that because I think that, I think that you I think there are people who are having these experiences without knowing it yeah, and just giving them insights into understanding what, what that is. You don't have to be a 10 year practitioner to be competent to run, for example, a three hour workshop. 
you yeah. can just be somebody who's been given the gift of those those insights into what's supposed to be happening during mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I've seen that happen with a lot of our our folks who are just joining us at Agitare, who are like so excited that they're able to foster these these emergent kind of patterns in in human collaboration and stuff just yeah. over the course of a little exercise. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we hope that it will demystify yeah. design and and what um what you know the experiences that we hope people will have and and the experiences if you are truly having the experiences that we describe in the book you can't help but become a mm -hmm. new person right yeah if yeah. you are challenging your own assumptions if you are uh, if you were visualizing things um, and making them tangible and concrete so you can immerse somebody into a new future, you you are going to co-create with someone in the in the process. Yeah. I and I'm not and, and I don't mean to say at all that the that designers don't have incredible skill and, and talent um, that is it is not valuable. I'm not saying that at all. Mm -hmm. What I am saying though, is that I think there is an opportunity for everyone to experience the things that designers are experiencing yeah. um, and to demystify what that is um, and, and, and to democratize the use mm -hmm. of design um, because yeah. I don't think you have to be an expert to use design. I think you do have to be experiencing these things that that we write about in the book um, so that you can become a new person. But I don't think you you have to be um, a designer to, you know, a, a, yeah. big, a big D designer to do that. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else you would like to touch on before we end our, our now almost two hour session? I, I am so excited. Thank you so much for spending the time. I, uh, I'm so grateful that you, um, you know, spent this time talking about this with me. It's a subject that I am just so happy and about. And, um, and for those, you know, who don't already know, we like, we have these conversations pretty regularly now where I just kind of drop into your, your office, uh, open office space. And it, that has been just such a value to me as I'm experimenting with stuff to be able to, you know, kind of nerd out on these topics. And I know that a lot of people are going to appreciate, uh, you know, getting to hear all of the, all the insights from this episode. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on before? Um, uh, well, just to say thank you. Um, uh, and I can make the paper available to your listeners if there um, are people that are interested in a copy of that paper. Our book will be out in 2021, if all goes well. We hit the send button on our first um, draft to Columbia on Thursday. Wow. Um, so it goes out for peer review. Um, and then um, we we send our final copy in in November after we... Um, make all of our edits and then it should be in the warehouse next April, April, 2021. So, wow. um, yeah, I am so excited. Uh, and we'll definitely be pre-ordering that as soon as there's <laughs> an opportunity to. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's been just a fantastic way to start my day and, uh, and I will see you at uh, summer of design very soon. Yeah. Thanks Daniel. Right. Thanks okay. Karen. Bye. Right, bye. <laughs>
Thanks for taking the time to listen. We love ideas and feedback, so feel free to send your thoughts to hello at deaf.org. For more great content and to stay in the loop about community events and activities, follow us on social media and subscribe to our monthly newsletter. Everyone plays a part in building the innovative national security culture we want to see. To find where you fit, just go to deaf.org join. That's def.org join.